speak to you. I have ordained you a prophet to the nations. I have chosen you out of the world. You did not choose me. I chose you. I have given you all authority and power. You shall receive my power and be my witness. You shall be strong and do great exploits. You shall be bold. You shall be fearless. You shall stand in my name. You shall be... a big thank you to those who last week said yes I will help in the nursery area so last week yeah big hand for those so as I told you last week uh, of course guys doing special things here at vertical we're excited about that on so many different levels but one of those is the number of people that are coming which is awesome and uh, some of those uh, new folks are young families and they have babies and they have children and so we have been uh, expanding our children's ministry area so now we have two nursery uh, groups and by November 1st, we're going to expand into two pre-K and we're going to separate our third and fourth out of the K through fourth area. So that, of course, allow us to do a lot of different things is uh, specify and tailor some teaching down to just third and fourth and K through two. It allows uh, those caring for those pre-K to not have 15 in the room. Right. That's a lot. So. Um, uh, I would appeal to you today and to say, if you would like to have a difference or make a difference in a child's life, in a family's life, to give mom and dad a break to be in here, hear God's word, worship, focus uh, on hearing from him, then I would ask you to consider volunteering in our children's ministry area. The way that works here at Vertical is it happens during our service. It's happening right now. And our volunteers uh, volunteer every four to six weeks right in there. So one time out of, that, out of that period, you're serving there and making a difference in children's lives. So November 1st, we're going to need to increase that number as we expand our children's classes. So I'd ask you to pray about that, make a difference in a, in a child's life, Make a difference in a family's life. Amen? That's a good, that's a good thing, an exciting thing here at Vertical. Back in uh, the 1790s, that's a long time ago in England, uh, a land a little bit removed from us here, but not so much. There were those who were working diligently to bring an end to slavery. One of those who was devoted to the cause was a man named William Wilberforce. He was young. He was committed. He was dauntless. He was involved in politics, but he was, in, he was involved as a Christ follower. He was committed to scripture. He was committed to seeing the kingdom of God expand. He was committed to seeing others come to know Christ. And he was committed to seeing an end to slavery. He worked for years, struggled. There were days that he thought he was getting ahead of the game, but there are many, many days when it didn't go so well, when the battle seemed like it was being lost. On one occasion, he was feeling incredibly low. I'm sure you know the feeling. Maybe you've set out on some pilgrimage, some purpose in your life, some cause, and have yet to see the results. You've yet to see the answers. You're still waiting you're still praying. So at one of these times, he, he sat down, he opened his Bible, 
wise thing to do. And as he flipped through his Bible, looking for some hope, encouragement in this very dark time, a letter fell out that he had received. The letter was from a man named John Wesley, and it was shortly before his death. He wrote, and Wilberforce read these words, Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. What a great word of encouragement. In the time when he thought, what's the purpose? What's the use? Why go on? I'm not seeing the results I thought were going to come. In fact, it appears the opposition against me is greater than my own ability or strength. You know, it's in times like that that we really do lean into faith. Faith is believing what God says above what I see. It is putting our trust in the one who calls things that are not as though they are. In the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, it makes it very clear that those who do this, those who put that kind of confidence in God, it says that the wicked flee in Proverbs 28.1 when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. They are ready to stand and they continue to stand. They face opposition and they keep on standing. They face attack and they keep on standing. You can't knock them down, you can't stop them. They keep pressing forward into what God has called them to do. Those who have this kind of dauntless faith say, I'm not gonna give up my convictions. I'm not gonna give up on what God has called me to do. I have a promise from him I have a calling from him and I will not let up. I will not compromise, I will not lose patience, I will not give up, I will not give in. I believe he's with me, I believe he's for me, I believe he will protect me, I believe he will deliver me, I believe he has a purpose for my life, I don't have to lose control, I don't have to lose patience, I don't have to give up, I don't have to be a slave to sin, I don't have to follow what the world says because I have faith and I will be dauntless, amen? Amen. This is what young William Wilberforce believed, and it is that kind of time in our day where the people of God must, must have that kind of persistence and diligence to stand for what is true and right and glorifies God. Amen? We're in the middle of a series called Dauntless. We've been looking at the book of Daniel in the Old Testament And discovering what it means to have that kind of faith. That kind of faith that stands against whatever comes our way. So we're in Daniel chapter 4 today. If you have your Bible, you can follow along there. If you have a Bible app, you can follow along there as well. If you want to follow me on screen, you're welcome to. 
If you want to take pictures of the screen, that will not bother me one bit to use for your notes. Daniel chapter 4, we've been following the story of a young man who was taken captive out of his land. His land, the people of God, had grown weary of following God. He began to worship idols. They were backslidden. And as a result, God allowed a foreign people to come in and take them captive. It's Babylon, it's Nebuchadnezzar who has captured them. He's taken the finest young men of the land and he's brought them in for his own use and his own administration. In the midst of it, Daniel has purposed in his heart that he will not compromise. Though he's in a different land, though he's under a different system, though he's with a godless ruler, he will not compromise what he believes. He will not attempt to blend in. He will not attempt to go their way. He will not hide what he believes. He will stand firm and refuse to compromise. And the more Daniel does so, the more it seems to elevate him before God and before the people in the land. He refuses to eat the king's food. He refuses to drink the king's wine. He refuses to compromise, to defile his body, as he says. And as a result, he comes away, along with his friends, being healthier, stronger, and wiser than any of the other young men. And therefore, he is elevated by Nebuchadnezzar. He's brought up into the administration. Some time passes, and the king has a dream. He can't understand it. Daniel interprets it and ends up promoting Daniel again. Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow to an image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And they end up being tossed into a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is livid with them because they won't bow to him and to his image. And so he heats the fire up seven times hotter than it normally would have been, tosses them in the fire only to find God deliver them from the fire and be in the fire with them. That was last week. Today, as we get into chapter four, some 30 years have passed since that moment. Since the fiery furnace, 30 years have passed. You just try to think back 30 years ago in your life. Yeah, for me, yeah, I was already finished with college 30 years ago still. 35 years ago, 37 years ago, I was graduating from high school, if that tells you something about my age. (laughs) It's been 35 years since Daniel's been taken captive, 30 years since his friends have been tossed into the fiery furnace. 35 years and Daniel is still in a foreign land. 35 years he has not been returned to his place. 35 years and Daniel's not where he wanted to be. 35 years and he doesn't have the answer yet. Why am I here, God? Why am I in this place? Why am I in this place serving that king under that religion? Why am I here, God? Have you ever asked the question, why, God? Why has this time passed? Why haven't my prayers been answered? Why haven't my dreams come true? Why haven't the things I've longed for, how come I'm not seeing them come to be yet? 35 years have passed, and Daniel is still in the place of wondering, God, why? Now, we never get the record that Daniel complained. We don't get anywhere in the record that Daniel was upset about it. We don't see that he was bitter, angry, resentful. We don't see that he was depressed or upset or discouraged. But you have to know he asks the question, God, what's the purpose here? 
I'll serve you. I'll be faithful. I wonder what the purpose is. Today, we're going to see part of the answer. 35 years later. Chapter 4 is really not about Daniel. It's really about Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, it's Nebuchadnezzar who writes chapter 4. So we've been following Daniel. We're going to see him in the story today. But it's really all about Nebuchadnezzar. So let me give you a little bit of background on Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar at this time is approaching 70 years old of time on this planet. He's been around a while, 70 years old. He's ruled Babylon for 35 years. He's at the peak of his career. Things have gone very well. Now, he's not the most honorable man. He's wicked. He's cruel. He's heartless. He's a man set on domination. He's a man set on world takeover. He's cruel, as we have seen. For those who wouldn't bow down to him, he wanted to kill them. He wanted to burn them. He wanted the furnace turned up seven times hotter than it normally was. He was a man who was incredibly wealthy, but he was incredibly poor in his spirit. He was a man who was known by the world, but he didn't really know who he was. He was a man who was brilliant, an engineer, an architect, a ruler, but he was clueless about life. The scripture tells us um, in a couple of other passages in 2 Kings that Nebuchadnezzar was so cruel that on one occasion he captured a king that he really did not like. He brought this king before him. He brought the king's two sons in front of him. And he killed the man's two sons right in front of him. And then he took out the man's eyes. He gouged his eyes out so that the very last memory he would have would be of his two sons being murdered in front of him. Nebuchadnezzar was a heartless man, cruel. He once took an 18-year-old king and imprisoned him for 36 years because he wanted his land. Nebuchadnezzar is a heartless man. And since he has captured Daniel and his friends, God has been at work in his life. Nebuchadnezzar isn't recognizing it, and I'm sure there were times that Daniel must have thought, I don't see it either. There were times Daniel must have thought, this guy is wicked, he's cruel, what am I doing here? He's never going to change. But Daniel kept on being faithful. You know, there are times in our life when it may not look like God is at work. It's in those times, by faith, that we hold to the fact that he is at work. Amen? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean he's not. Just because you can't see the seed germinating below the surface doesn't mean it's not. Just because you can't see the seed planted in a womb growing doesn't mean it's not. God works in ways beyond what we can see. Amen? And faith holds to it and trusts and says, God, I can't see you working, but I know you're working. I can't see where you are, but I know you're here. And this is what Daniel was doing throughout the whole process. He was remaining dauntless. He was remaining uncompromising because he knew and he believed that God was present. God was at work. And what God begins, he will complete and he has a purpose. Daniel stayed dauntless. 35 years 
later. And God is about to do something big in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And what we're going to discover today will become a blueprint for us. How God works in Nebuchadnezzar's life will become a blueprint for us in how God works in our life and others' lives. If you'll see the pattern today, if you'll see the way in which God works in Nebuchadnezzar's life, you'll discover something of how to hear from God at times in your life when you can't see where he is. Can anybody identify this morning? Amen. Yeah, I want to see this today. I want to see where God is at work. I want to see how he works because there's times in my life where I keep looking for him to work and I don't see him working yet but he's there working all the time. Amen. So Daniel chapter four, I'm going to make my points today first, and then we're going to look at the passage. I normally do it in reverse. I normally will cover the set of verses and then make a point. I'm doing it in reverse today. So here's our first big point today. It's this, that God sent uncertainty to awaken him. You see, Nebuchadnezzar was a man who was kind of clueless about God. He didn't have any understanding of who the one true God was. He was a guy who loved the gods. He was a religious guy. He was a guy who tried to make sure he covered all the bases. He wanted to worship all the gods because he figured they were all upset with him. And he had to do all that he could to try to keep them all happy. Man, that's a miserable way to live. Trying to keep all the gods happy. You may have tried it in another way. Trying to make everybody happy. Hello. It's miserable, right? It kind of leads you to a bad place. Well, this is Nebuchadnezzar. And so since Daniel's come into the picture, God's been at work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He's been trying to reach him. He's been trying to reveal himself to him. And the way he's going to do that for Nebuchadnezzar is he's going to create in him some uncertainty. He's going to create in him a little unrest. He's going to create in him some, some question some uncertainty, some unusual things are going to happen in his life, and it's all going to cause Nebuchadnezzar to say, something's going on. I don't know what it is. I feel unrested. I feel discombobulated. I feel uncertain. And this is where God starts often in our lives. He'll bring something your way. And you won't be able to put your finger on it at first. You'll just sense there's something that seems not right. Something just feels out of whack. Something just feels like something good's about to happen, but you don't know what. You're not sure if it is. You feel this uncertainty, this unrest. And it's going to happen for Nebuchadnezzar in this way. He's going to have another dream. It's going to be a confusing dream. Now, he's had some confusing ones up to this point, but he's about to have another one. And let me tell you about the dream. I'm not going to read the whole passage. It's kind of lengthy. I'm going to summarize for you if that's all right. The verses are in 4 through 18. If you want to read through that, you can. Just don't tune me out, though. You know, listen to me a little bit here this morning. So, so Nebuchadnezzar is going to have this dream and he's going to have a dream about a tree. And that's not so bad. But this tree is a big tree. I mean, a really big tree. It's so big that he says in his dream, it reaches up to the heavens. Now, that's a big tree. And it covers the entire earth. 
You know how dreams are. They're kind of weird, right? They don't make sense. The minute you try to start telling someone your dream, it doesn't make any sense. And you get like, never mind. I don't want to tell you about my dream. Well, this is happening. Nebuchadnezzar is telling the dream. He says, I had this dream about a tree and it's, it's massive. It's, it's big. It's strong. It's a beautiful tree. It, it covers the whole earth. It's just amazing. And there's there's, there's birds in the tree, and then there's beasts that come and they, they come up for rest under the tree, and they're, they're all feeding around this tree, and it's a beautiful tree. But then the dream gets weird after that because Nebuchadnezzar says, and then this, this being came down from heaven. I don't even know how to describe it. This being came down from heaven, and he gave the order for this tree to be chopped down. A tree that covers the entire planet reaches to the heavens. He says this, this, this watcher, this holy watcher, this, this one from heaven came down and said to cut the tree down and to leave nothing but the stump and the roots and put a, put a little fence around it, in fact. Weird, right? Well, it gets more weird because it's about a tree. It's about a stump. It's about a fence. But then the dream kind of shifts. I don't know what he had to eat the night before, but God is using it here in his life because now it's not about a stump. He goes on and says, this, this animal shows up and it's an animal that used to be a person. It's a person because it's got arms and legs. It's a person because it's got two eyes and a nose and hair. It looks like a human, but it's like an animal all of a sudden. He's behaving like an animal. I mean, he's out on the ground. He's living out there. And he's feeding off the ground. He's living outside. And the, the dream says that, he said, this is going to last for seven seasons. It's going to be a long time. Not seven hours, seven weeks, seven seasons. This will, this will be like this. And he said in the dream, he said, and, and here was the strange thing. He said that this was all for a purpose. So that this creature now might know that there is a God who reigns over all the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar is, watch this, stumped. <laughs> he's confused. And, and he's, he's all messed up about this dream. And he tries to call in some wise men to try to help him because he wants to know what's going on here. What's this all about? But let me remind you, God will sometimes bring uncertain situations into our lives so that we will see his glory. Amen. Because here's the deal. You and I really can't experience all that he is until we humble ourselves until we come to the end of ourselves, until we acknowledge that he alone is God and we are not. And you see old Nebuchadnezzar, he's not in that place yet. And so God is introducing a little bit of unrest, a little bit of uncertainty. Maybe you've had something like, like that happen in your life. Maybe you've had some uncertainty come along, some unusual situations that you can't figure out. It just might be that God's trying to reveal himself and show you something. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this from Nebuchadnezzar's own words. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house. I was flourishing in my palace. I'm at the peak of my career, and I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. He is at a place of unrest. He is scared. 
He is a place where he's troubled, and God is using it. Nebuchadnezzar calls for all of his wise men. Hey, come help me understand this dream. They're clueless. They don't know. Then he remembers Daniel. He calls for Daniel. He sends for Daniel. He's the one that has helped me before. He's the one that the God of heaven has blessed. So he calls for Daniel. Which kind of brings us to our second step here this morning. If you're looking for the blueprint for God working in your life, he creates a situation of unrest. The second thing is God sent someone to help him. You see, God will create situations of unrest in your life, but not just to watch you squirm. Not just to make your life miserable. Not just to pay you back for all you've done. God will create a situation of unrest in your life, and then he will send someone to you to help provide help, answer, hope, direction. God will do it through his Holy Spirit, but he will often do it through people. You and I were meant to be connected with others. And God has chosen that the way he brings truth about, grace about, is through people who have trusted in Jesus Christ. That's why what we are called to do on this earth is significant. It's not just to come here and hear heartwarming messages on a Sunday morning. This is only the huddle for the play that's about to break out there. We leave here to go be what Daniel's going to be to Nebuchadnezzar. And God sends him to Nebuchadnezzar to be the hope and help that he needs. It's fascinating that Daniel, I mean that Nebuchadnezzar called all these others and they couldn't provide any help. But he remembered Daniel. He remembered that Daniel had been one to help him before. And he remembered that Daniel was a man of integrity. Daniel did not give in on his convictions. Daniel would not yield. Daniel stayed true to God. And watch this. You gain credibility with the world and those who are hurting when you remain in a place of integrity. They may resist you, ridicule you, mock you, think you're foolish, but when their day comes that they're in trouble, they're going to look for the one who held true to their convictions and held true to their God. And Daniel spent some time being ridiculed and mocked. Daniel spent some time having to pay for holding true to his convictions. But when this day came, when the day of trouble came for Nebuchadnezzar, it was Daniel that he called on. This is why it's important for you and I to hold true to our convictions throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the year, and throughout your life. What you do today has an impact for tomorrow, a year from now, 30 years from now. Someone may be looking at your life, pointing back to a time in your life before and say, look what they did then. Believe what you will about the political situation in our world today. But what you do here has an impact here. 
Choose to hold to your convictions now. Don't play it off as something that won't matter, that'll be light, that people won't be seeing. They will, and it will make a difference. For Daniel, it made a difference because the most powerful man on the planet in his darkest time of need called on the one who had refused to bow, to give in, or to give up on his convictions. And God sends Daniel to help him. Mm. Someone to help him. So Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream. And Daniel says, I got you. I know. I have the answer. King, I hope you're going to hear me. I hope you'll listen to what I have to say. I've got some hard words for you, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, that tree that you dreamed about, that massive, beautiful tree, fruit, birds, animals, reaching to the heavens, reaching across the planet, that tree, king, is you. It's your kingdom. You've been that wise, that powerful. That tree is your kingdom. Wow. What a work, Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar, that tree that's going to get cut down, that's also you. That one that comes from heaven, that's God. He's going to see that your tree is cut. Your kingdom is going to be cut off. And all that's going to be left is a stump. You, Nebuchadnezzar. All your influence, all your power, all your greatness, all your achievements cut. A stump left in the ground. And king, not only that, but the figure you saw that was a person that became an animal, that for seven seasons lives like an animal, that for seven seasons lives eating grass, that, Nebuchadnezzar, is you. Wow. Strong words. Daniel had to be dauntless. Daniel was having to tell the most powerful man on the planet who could end his life in a breath. Some bad news. But Daniel is unafraid. And he tells it to him. He tells him what his dream means. And when God reveals himself, he does so with purpose. He does so, and then he calls us into account. He calls us to respond. You see, anytime God speaks, he's got something he wants in us as follow-up. It's really not about how many sermons you've ever heard. It's really all about how much of God's word you've put into practice. It's really not how much you agree with God's word. It's how much you've chosen to obey. It's not about how much scripture you've memorized. It's about how much scripture you have put into practice. You can fill your head with the entire Bible. 
You can listen to sermons, read podcast or listen to podcasts, read websites that talk all about scripture. But you haven't got anything until you have applied and obeyed the very thing God has called you to do. And so here in this situation, Nebuchadnezzar's just heard a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has just heard what God has said to him. And Daniel is so bold. Daniel is so dauntless that he doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just say, there it is, Nebuchadnezzar. I'll see you. I'm going to leave it with you. You figure out what to do with it. No. God sent truth to confront him. God sent Daniel to help him, but he's going to use Daniel to confront him in the moment. To say, all right, king, you've heard it. Now it's time to act. Watch how bold and dauntless Daniel is. Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. I hope you're going to hear me, king. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. King, because of this dream, I'm telling you right now, it's time for you to cut off your sin. It's time to repent and be righteous. It's time to stop your iniquities, your long-term patterns of sin, and begin to give to the poor and stop being so wrapped up in you. Whew. Daniel, you're talking to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on the planet, the man who has the greatest armies, the greatest wealth, the greatest physical kingdom. Daniel, what are you doing? I have to speak. It's what God put in my heart. And Daniel does. And he says, Nebuchadnezzar, I hope you're going to hear me. If you will believe what I'm saying and do what I'm saying, perhaps, perhaps, do you see perhaps up there? Maybe, just maybe, God will forgive you and extend some mercy to you and your ability to be prosperous will continue. King, you better listen up. Whoo! Daniel just lays on out there on the table. The sad thing is, Nebuchadnezzar hears it, dismisses it. It's like Nebuchadnezzar was sitting in a 1030 church service in America on a Sunday morning. <laughs> he's listening, but he's not there. He's looking like he's interested, but he's somewhere else. He's agreeing and nodding his head, but it's really him trying to not fall asleep. Yeah. It's him listening and thinking about 12 other things he wants to do the next day. It's him listening and dismissing it like, okay, Daniel, just get on with it. Get on past it. Hurry up. Get to the final song, Daniel. I'm ready for this thing to be over. <laughs> and Nebuchadnezzar dismisses it all. The reason we know is because of what is going to happen next. You see, God will create some unrest in us. This is his blueprint and pattern. God will send someone to help. God will speak truth. God will call you to account. And if you don't listen, here's what will happen next. God sent circumstances to humble him. It should have been that Nebuchadnezzar heard, humbled himself, and said, God, what will you have of me? I'll do whatever you want. 
That should have been what happened, but it didn't. Nebuchadnezzar resisted. Nebuchadnezzar thought about his grocery list. Nebuchadnezzar thought about all the next week, the things he had to do, and he dismissed what Daniel had to say. And God would now use physical reality to show Nebuchadnezzar what should have been a spiritual reality. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you should have humbled your heart, but because you didn't, I'm going to humble your life. Nebuchadnezzar, you should have given up everything for me, but because you didn't, I'm going to take everything from you. You should have bowed your knee to me. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to bring you to a place where you will bow your knee to me. This is what God does. He speaks, longs for us to respond. If we don't, he still wants us to respond, but he'll he'll begin to put into practice in our life some things that'll bring us to the end of ourselves. It should have been that Nebuchadnezzar said, I feel some unrest in my heart right now. I need to seek the Lord. It's not what happened. So you read on in the passage and you see exactly what happened. Verse 28, referring to the dream, it says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Let me just pause for just a moment. 12 months pass. 12 months from the time that Daniel interprets the dream and tells him what's going to happen, and he has all this time, a year, that he could have repented, a year that he could have humbled himself. He might have even thought, hey, you know what? Daniel told me all that crazy stuff, and a month's passed. Still here. (laughs) Two months pass. (laughs) Oh, I'm still here. None of that stuff's happened. Six months passed, eight months passed. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar must have thought, (laughs) I'll show you who's king. I'm king. He must have thought, I got this thing beat. I am greater. You might think I'm making that up. I'm not. It's what the Bible reveals. A year later, it says, Nebuchadnezzar is walking about his royal palace. Scripture, I mean, history tells us that he had two great palaces in which he lived. One, the main palace, was 350 yards long. Three football fields and more. Three and a half football fields at your house. It's 200 yards wide. Don't have to get your calculator out. I'll tell you, that's 630,000 square feet. 630,000 square feet. It contained over 15 million bricks. Each one of them inscribed with his name on it. This is a man who is wrapped up in himself. 
He's the designer, the engineer, the architect of this massive city. He has discovered an ingenious way to bring water 300 feet from the Euphrates River to irrigate the gardens. It's known as one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. He's a brilliant man. Two million people lived in the city, surrounded by a double wall system to protect it. And this verse tells us there's a day, 12 months after Daniel interpreted the dream that he was walking about his royal palace. I'm sure it's an early morning. He's drinking the finest of coffee. He's looking out over his kingdom. And boy, is it an amazing day for Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he says next, verse 30. It says the king spoke. He, he spoke out loud. And he said this. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a, for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? What a great man I am. Look what I have done. Look what I have achieved. Look what I have arrived at. I am not cut off. I am not living outside the walls. I'm inside the walls. I'm flourishing. I am great. Verse 31. While the word was still in the king's mouth, while he was still saying this, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Verse 32. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. And seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. It's one year later, but be assured, what God says, he'll bring to pass. God is not mocked, he is not a liar. What he says is true. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now, there are different interpretations of whether seven seasons meant seven seasons, like we think of seasons, or seven years. Either way, his hair grew long and nasty. He didn't get anyone to come cut it like had been the custom. He didn't trim his fingernails. He didn't trim his toenails. He hadn't been in for the latest manicure, pedicure. And he's been living outside this whole time. He's eating grass. He's dripping with the dew. Can you imagine? You see, I've told you about our dog, Callie. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, it's been raining a lot lately here. And so 
Heather's soft spot, and my tiny little soft spot, says we should bring Callie in. (laughs) So Callie goes out, drips with the wet dew of heaven, comes back in, and it's time to turn the sensi on. Because she brings in her lovely aroma of wettest dog. You know what I'm talking about. I could just imagine Nebuchadnezzar. Seven years. Seven years. He is outside. I don't mean just during the day. It's all the time. His hair has grown Not just this, but every other hair on his body has grown. It's nasty. His fingernails have grown. His toenails have grown. They're like bird claws, it says. He becomes like an animal. He eats like an animal. He sleeps like an animal. He does everything else like an animal. What God had said came to pass. You say, did God make him that way? What God did was simply remove the restraints and let Nebuchadnezzar become all that he was. And in that moment, he became outwardly what he had been all along inside, an animal. In that moment, he lost all sense of reality. In that moment, he became one who lost all control. Psychologists today say this is an actual form of insanity. He lost his mind. He was so arrogant, so filled with himself, so jealous of more, he didn't have enough, so bitter, so envious, so mean, so cruel, so resistant to bowing his knee before the God of the universe. So refusing that he actually became insane. He developed a mental and emotional condition. There are two names given to this kind of condition. One of them is lycanthropy, the condition in which a person actually believes they are an animal. And they begin to live that way. The second is a newer term. Species dysphoria. He believed he was an animal trapped inside a human body. He believed he was something different than what God had made him to be. He believed he was trapped in something different than what God truly intended him to be. And he lost his mind. He lost all sense of right and wrong. He couldn't make rational decisions anymore. He became insensitive, unsensible, dislodged in his thinking. He could no longer rationally function. And so he is put out. I don't think he willingly said, let me out the pet door. I want to go outside and eat grass. (laughs) 
he functionally lost his ability to operate, and they put him out. That's what the passage says. They put him out. They had to put him in a place because he was unsafe to everyone else. He was unsafe to himself. And when you remove God from the throne of your life and you elevate yourself to the throne of your life, you will find your place dislodged. You'll find yourself in dysphoria. You'll find yourself an animal. You'll find yourself not able to function. You'll find yourself not able to relate. You'll find yourself given over to all that's in you. Your anger, your resentment, your jealousies, your bitterness, all of that, your lust, your greed, your demands. You'll find yourself given over to all of that and you've just become all that Nebuchadnezzar became, an animal. He lost all sense of what's right. When you do that in your life, you might think, well, God was done with him. God was through with him. God was making his point on him. But what the scripture reveals is just the opposite. God was set on trying to show grace to Nebuchadnezzar. That's the final point in the pattern this morning is that God sent grace to change him. You know, what happens next and history actually verifies all of this as if we need the Bible to be verified. We don't. We can take it for just what it is. Seven seasons, seven years pass and at the end of it, it says that Nebuchadnezzar came to a new place. Look at verse 34. It says, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Seven years of living like an animal. Seven years of trying to do his own thing. Seven years of saying, leave me alone. Seven years of illogical living like a beast. Seven years it took, and finally, Nebuchadnezzar broke. You ever prayed for somebody, waited for somebody, wondered when somebody was finally going to humble themselves? Well, now, on top of Daniel's 35, we've just added seven more. Because I'm sure some years went by in there where he thought, oh, my. Now Nebuchadnezzar's lost his mind. He's lost his ever-loving mind. He's out there like a beast. No one can control him. His kingdom's come to an end. God, what in the world? It was bad, and it's gone to worse. I thought we might be getting somewhere with that dream and the interpretation, and now I don't know what's going on, God. Seven years pass, and all of a sudden, one day, not by Nebuchadnezzar's own choosing, but by his humbling himself, by coming to the place of finally admitting that God is God, he lifts his eyes to heaven. He finally looks up in his animal state. 
in his beast-like behavior. He looks up to heaven and it says, and my understanding returned to me. You don't get clarity. You don't get understanding. You don't get resolve until you look up to heaven. You keep looking at your problem. You keep looking at others and blaming them. You keep looking at your situation and wondering when it's going to change. And you don't find any change until the day you decide to look up. And then, and only then, do you get some kind of clarity, some understanding. And it says here in this verse, at the same time my reason returned to me. His ability to all of a sudden understand. His ability to see life properly. His ability to relate. His ability to care for himself. His ability to not be given over to every desire that comes his way. His ability to not give in to any temptation. All of a sudden, it, it, it comes alive in him. He says, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. Oh, God was gracious to him, way more gracious than he ever had to be. Then Nebuchadnezzar deserved to have happened to him. He deserved judgment and death because of all he had dished out. And here is God awakening his heart. Here is God showing him his glory. Here is God bringing him to life. Here is God restoring his understanding. Here is God restoring his reason. And he humbles himself. Now. He says he blesses the most high God. Mm. It goes on in verse 37. It says, now I, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar comes to faith in God. All that he had done, no matter what his past had been, in the midst of his worst day, he looked up got perspective, and all of a sudden now, he's not filled with complaint and bitterness and envy and jealousy and resentment and sin. He's all of a sudden filled with praise. He says, all of whose works are truth and his ways justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. Nebuchadnezzar was talking about himself. Wow, what an amazing story. A man far from God, cruel, selfish, living for himself, comes to humility, repentance, and faith. It's because God spoke to him, but I want to remind you of this. God used Daniel. God used Daniel to bring him to that place. God used the faith of one young man who didn't know why he was where he was, who didn't understand where his future was headed, who didn't understand why he was having to suffer so much, who didn't understand why he was taken from his kingdom, but he trusted in God the whole time. And God used Daniel to bring Nebuchadnezzar to a place of faith. One of the things that we say here at Vertical is that God works in symphony. I was in band when I was growing up in high school. 
and I know what it's like to play a part in the band. I played clarinet, later tenor sax, if there are any band friends out there. Apparently not. So, <laughs> when you play an instrument in the band, you get a piece of music, and your piece of music is not the whole symphonic music score. You've got a little part you play, and sometimes you don't play. Sometimes you have to rest. That's what's on the music. Rest for seven bars. So you count. One, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three. All the while, the other instruments are all playing. The drums are going. Cymbals playing. Tubas blasting. Piccolo's doing their thing. And you're playing the clarinet. Five, three, four, six, two, three, four, seven, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, two. That's what happens. That's what happens. Sometimes when you're in the orchestra, that's what happens. You you play your part, but you're not everything. You got your part you play, and when it's your time, you play your part. Other than that, be quiet. Right? It had come Daniel's time. 35 years. I'm ready, God. Let me play my note. And he played it. And Nebuchadnezzar bowed his knee to God and came to faith. Woo. He was dauntless. He didn't give up. He didn't say, oh, I'm in year 33. What in the world? He just kept on. He kept believing, kept trusting, held to his convictions, didn't give in because he thought, eh, what does it matter? No, he stayed true to it. He stayed faithful in it. He was dauntless in it. And God used him. Woo. So I don't know where you are today. It's possible that you could identify with Nebuchadnezzar in the story. You might say, man, I'm, I, I can identify with him. I've been away. I've been a long way away. I hadn't even considered who God was. I haven't been interested in who God was. But now I hear him speaking to me. I, I feel the unrest. I feel the unanswered question. I feel the need to to do something. That's right. It's because God is speaking to you. And if he's speaking to you today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, then it goes something like this. You respond to him and say, God, I hear you speaking to me. I have made a mess of my life. But because of what Jesus did for me, because he took my sin on the cross, I bow my knee to you, and now I will live for you. If you prayed a prayer like that this morning, the Bible says you have just been birthed into the kingdom of God. You've just been made new. And in just a moment, we're going to sing. We're going to have some counselors up here. And this will be your moment to put that into practice. Remember, God, if he speaks to you, he's got something he's calling you to do. So you step out and you come this morning. But it might be that you say, you know, I've done that. This morning, I, I relate more to Daniel. This morning, I, I, can, I can associate with this idea of having to wait and rest and wonder and keep waiting and resting and wondering. But today, I'm renewing my faith. 
that God is in control. I can't see it. I can't figure it out. But I know that God's working below the surface. He's working below the surface in me, and he's working below the surface in other people. It may be in a marriage that you're in, and you can't figure out what in the world is going on. God, where are you? Do not, do not give up in the fight. Do not give up in the middle. You trust that God is at work. You do what he says, and he'll bring it to pass. You believe him. You trust him. It might be an area in your life where you've been waiting for some victory. It might be something where you're waiting for something fresh to happen. I'm telling you, God loves to respond to those who truly believe he reigns. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. I believe that God is speaking. I'm confident of that. I know he's talking to very real situations in our life. And that this morning he's speaking to us. And this morning the question is, will you respond? Will you respond to what he says and not have to have life humble you? You choose to humble yourself. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ in just a moment, when our counselors are here and the band starts singing, this will be your time to move and say, I've come to put my faith in Jesus Christ. A counselor here will help you walk through that process. This morning you might say, I'm in a difficult situation. I've been waiting to see God work and I've grown weary in the process, but today I'm renewing my faith to be dauntless, to not give up, to not give in, but to seek him and to stay faithful, to not compromise. You may want to come and see a counselor this morning so that you can have someone pray with you. Don't miss this moment. Don't walk out of here missing the time when God is speaking to you. It might be that you need to turn and talk to someone who's with you, a family member. It might be that you need to ask them to come and pray with you. Whatever it is, don't miss this moment. Would you stand with me as we pray together this morning? Our Heavenly Father, We come this morning to respond to your word. You are the God who reigns over all. We acknowledge that this morning. You are the God who reigns supreme. And so today we come to humble ourselves. Forgive us for the times we have sat on the throne, called our own shots, dismissed you. Forgive us for growing weary in the battle. Forgive us for giving up on you working. Today, we come to recommit ourselves to you fully, to trust you, to be dauntless, to not give in, and to wait whatever time is necessary. Be it three hours, three weeks, three years, or 30 years, we will not give in. We will not give up. We will not compromise. We will stand firm and be dauntless. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your peace. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his blood that cleanses us. I thank you for new life that's in you, for new hope that's in you today. We stand to worship, to respond to what you've said. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I hope it has inspired you to lift him up and live him out. 
If you'd like to know more about Vertical Church, check us out online at verticalchurchovilla.com. We'll see you next time.